and join me uh, in your copy of the Bible, if you would, in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, looking at verses 53 through 58 tonight. Uh, if you didn't get a listening guide on your way in, piece of paper that will give you some space to take notes, uh, you can flip your hand up. Alex can make sure that you get one of those this evening as we look at the topic of death on a day that we call Good Friday. Seems like a paradox, doesn't it? And death itself seems like a paradox for us, I think, in so many ways. It's, it's all around us. It's inescapable. Uh, I've not met anybody yet walking around in Crestwood or Kentucky or the United States who's been able to cheat it. We all know that we will one day face it. We all know that it will enter in and intersect with our lives in many ways. And yet, most of us try to spend our lives pretending it doesn't exist. Most of us run from it, hide from it. When was the last time you spent time thinking about it, about your own death, about what that day will be like? And so death is a paradox in that it's everywhere and yet we want to pretend it's nowhere. And this day seems like the greatest paradox of them all. This death seems like the greatest paradox of them all. How is it that we, who call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, can come together and celebrate the death of our Lord, the founder of our faith? Is that possible? Does that make any sense? How do we make sense of the narrative that we just heard read out of the Gospel of Mark, that Christ suffered, that he died, and that that forms the central moment of human existence of this faith that we follow how do we make sense of the death of jesus and how does the death of jesus change the way that you and i live today here and now well to help us think through that tonight we're going to examine a few words of reflection on christ's death from the book of first corinthians my hope and my prayer is that as we look at this text it leaves us better equipped to understand the significance of Jesus' death as we go home tonight, better equipped to think about our own deaths as we go home tonight, and better strengthened to do some very important things before and until our deaths. So join me in 1 Corinthians 15 as we read verses 53 to 58 together. Writing to the church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul says, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death where is your victory O death where is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ therefore my beloved brothers be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that in the lord your labor is not in vain pray with me as we look and study this passage together father who gave your son for us as we examine your word and reflect on the death of Jesus tonight, we ask that what we know not, you will teach us. What we have not, you will give us. What we are not, you will make us. For your son's sake and the praise of your glorious grace. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. 
So we're going to dive right into this tonight. We're going to dive right into this little piece of text. And this, we're entering in in midstream, right? We're picking up in verse 53, which means we've got 52 verses of context that we're missing out on. And I'm not going to give you those 52 verses of context tonight. But take it at this. We are looking at a reflection on the importance, the significance, the necessity of Christ's death and resurrection. And here as we're in these last few verses, Paul is looking forward to the end of all things. To the time when everything will be made right. This world, the final chapter on this age, closes and people stand before their maker. And here in verse 53... He talks to us about the great dilemma that we all face, the great dilemma of the human condition, namely that mortality cannot dwell with God. Man, as it stands, cannot dwell with God. We are going to come to a day when this world is no more. We see God face to face, and we cannot of ourselves enter into fellowship with him. Just a few verses earlier, Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We cannot walk right out of this world and into the next. Which begs the question, why? Why is it that in order to be God, or in order to be with God, this perishable body must put on the imperishable? The mortal must put on the immortal, as it says in verse 43. Why is it that this is the case? Why is this our condition? Why is this our dilemma? Well, to understand that, we have to start from the beginning. We have to understand who we are and where we are. You were created. You were created by God. You did not come about by chance. You are not a sentient ape making your own way in a luckily luckily habitable corner of an indifferent universe. You aren't here by accident. You are a character in a story being told by the master storyteller, the one whose words spoke all creation into existence. Now, before you start getting puffed up wondering how big a part you have in the story, let me cut you down to size just a little bit. Let me burst your bubble. You're one of the villains in the story, and so am I. Now, that might shock you. You might think, I'm not a villain. Well, newsflash, most villains don't think they're villains, right? Most villains think they're the good guy. That's how it works in good storytelling, and this is good storytelling. You might think, hey, I've got a few rough edges, but, but I'm like a flawed hero, right? Not an actual villain. I know I'm not perfect, but, but aren't I one of the good guys? Well, you've rejected God. You have rebelled against God, the one true God who made you, who made you to enjoy life and perfect fellowship with him forever. You've rejected him. You've ignored your commands for how you should live your life, and you've gone your own way instead. Every single one of us has done that. Even if you plead ignorance and you say, well, now wait a minute, I, I, I reject your Bible, I, I don't have to live by your, your Bible, by your code I'm not accountable to that. When I stand before God, if there is a God, I'll just say, hey, how did you expect me to understand that the Bible was true? You're not going to hold me accountable for something that I didn't even believe in. How many times have you fallen short of your own stated values? Let's just deal with it right on that level. Uh, a pastor and author uh, from the 1970s, Francis Schaeffer, gave this illustration to why we are so desperately separated from God, even if we go no further than our own conscience. He said this, he said, imagine there is an invisible tape recorder around your neck. You can't feel it, you can't see it, so don't try, but it's there. 
on Judgment Day, all of a sudden, you're going to appear before God, and a lot of people are going to say, I didn't even know you existed. Wait a minute. You can't hold me responsible for following the law of God. Other people are going to say, oh, I've heard of the Bible, but I've never read the Bible. You can't hold me responsible for this law. I didn't realize the God of the Bible is the real God. Okay, here you are, but you can't hold me responsible. You can't judge me for something I didn't believe in. What is God going to do? He's going to reach around the back. He's going to unclasp, and he's going to take off your invisible tape recorder. It'll become visible, and you'll say, I, I didn't see that there. And he'll say, no, you couldn't have felt it. It was invisible. I want you to know that I'm the fairest judge you could possibly imagine. I'm not going to judge you according to the Bible because you didn't know the Bible. I'm not going to judge you according to Christ because you've never heard of Christ. I'm going to judge you by your own words. Because this tape recorder only recorded throughout your life whenever you said to someone else, you ought or you should. This tape recorder has only recorded your standards for the people around you. Therefore, I'm not going to judge you by anything other than the standards by which you judged people your entire life. And if he did that, we are all undone. Think about the moral pronouncements you've made your friends, your family, your co-workers. Do you hold up perfectly to them? No, you don't. No, I don't. We are all undone. And because God is perfect, and because he is perfectly just, and will, will execute perfect justice for all time, none of us can dwell with him. All of us face an impossible barrier for us to climb. All of us deserve only his wrath and his retribution. Death came upon our race as a result of our rebellion. And death will ultimately destroy us for our rebellion against God. Mortality cannot dwell with him. The perishable cannot dwell with the imperishable. The mortal cannot dwell with the immortal. This is our dilemma. And yet, we're gathered here tonight because we're a people with hope. Christians have Hope, how can this be? Verse 54, notice that Paul says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying. Notice that Paul says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable. Not if, when. There is hope. The reversal of our great dilemma will be brought about. The perishable will, will put on imperishable. The mortal will be made immortal. And we're told that when this happens, the prophecy that was given long ago through the prophet Hosea will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Hosea 13, 14, the prophet said, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. Oh, death, where are your plagues? Oh, Sheol, where is your sting? The promise is that death itself shall die. That death's victory, its sting, its power will be gone. So we face an impossible dilemma. We face a condition that none of us can escape, and yet we are told there is hope. Yet we are told there is a promise. There is a way to overcome death. How can it be? What do we have to do to put on immortality? What do we have to do to put on the imperishable? And this is where Jesus comes in. This is where Good Friday becomes good. Because Jesus' death has neutered death. It has drained it of its power. 
Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So faced with this impossible dilemma, but yet at the same time this sure hope, Paul says that where does death get its sting? Where does the power of death come from? Well, the sting of death is sin, right? As we said earlier, our sin, our evil, our rebellion, our rejection of God, that is what has brought death about. And it's what gives death its eternal power. It is why death is not just about the death in this life, but a second death, a death in the life to come, a a separation from the goodness and love of God because of our sin. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. What does this mean? It means that it's God who has spoken and decided what is good and what is evil. He has given us his law, his commands of how we ought to live in this world. Those commands that we've rejected, that we've walked away from. He's given us his word so that we might know him. Romans 3.20 says, through the law comes knowledge of sin. How do I know what good and evil, what righteousness and unrighteousness look like? Because God has shown me in his word. And God has not only done this, but he's also woven his law into the very fabric of our being. He's the one that gave us our conscience, Francis Schaeffer's invisible tape recorder, that we can go around the world and find people who have never opened a Bible, who don't know the name of Jesus, and yet they know what right and wrong is. They know not to to murder. They know not to to steal. They know not to lie. They have this oughtness deep within them and within us that's unavoidable because God has written his law on our hearts and we're accountable to him for it. Romans chapter 2 verses 14 through 16 says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So how is the sting of death removed? Because Christ has fulfilled the law for us. The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, and God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life free from sin, free from evil, free from rebellion and rejection, all of those things that mark us. Death had no rightful claim on him, and yet he died, not for his own sins, but for ours. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Jesus' death, every miserable ounce of his suffering was for you, was for me. Death has no rightful claim on him. It has no dominion over him. And so as a result, he invites us to shelter under his wings, under his protection, to be shielded from the wrath of God that I've earned and that you deserve. His death was for me, it was for you, and it's offered freely to give us redemption from our sin. Romans 6, 8 through 10 says, Now if we have died with Christ, 
if we've taken shelter under his wings, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And the very familiar verse, if you know one, you probably know this one, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what makes today good. That is what makes the death of Christ good for you, for me. Believe in him. Take shelter under him. Turn from your sin, your rebellion, and trust in the God who died in your place. That is why he went to the cross. That is why he suffered and he died. To take the sting from death. For you, for me. And what then? If you've taken shelter under the wings of Christ, if you've hidden yourself under the, salva the salvation of his death, then what? Where do we go from here? What do we do on a good Friday in order to follow in his footsteps? Well, we follow him. We follow after him with everything that we have. Follow him like one who has been redeemed. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, Verse 58 starts with the word, therefore. So that means what he's about to tell us to do, we do because of everything that has just come before. Because these things are true, therefore, go and live like this. Go and do these things. And what are we to do? Verse 58, be steadfast. Be immovable. Steadfast and immovable at what? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be steadfast and immovable at the work of the Lord. What's the work of the Lord? It's all the things that Jesus told us to do, right? Go into the world, preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's why we're opening the gospel of Matthew on Sunday mornings. It's why we're listening to the Sermon on the Mount, listening to the things that he taught us, listening to the commands that he gave us, because as people who have been redeemed, we want to follow after him. We want to be like him. We want to live like him. We want to love like him. And we do that because of the reality of what he's done for us. Therefore, be steadfast and immovable. Stay on course. Stay on target. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because Jesus died, we get to live. And it's not just because Jesus died, we get to survive for eternity. Because Jesus died, we get to live we get to have life. Life with Christ is what life was meant and created and is supposed to be. Don't believe the lie that following Jesus means you miss out on all the good stuff. That somehow following Christ is some bland and miserable existence where we walk around and we do pious religious things, but we never have any fun. It's a load of garbage is what that is. Christ is what we were created for. Is who we were created for. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Life with Christ. 
Life that is steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, is the life you were made for. You want to know what fulfillment looks like? It's found here. You want to know what fulfillment looks like? It's found in him, in Christ, in following in his footsteps, doing the things that he taught. And as you do this, as we remain steadfast and immovable, abounding in his work, know that the work that you're doing, the life that you're living, is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. Every moment matters because Christ died. Because Christ died, Good Friday matters. Because Christ died, your Saturday morning is going to matter. Your Sunday is going to matter. Your Monday, your Tuesday, every moment of your day has significance. Because in every moment of your day, you can be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. God wastes nothing in this life. Not your pains. Not your joys. Not your tears. Not your laughter. Not your victories. Not your defeats, not your suffering, nothing is wasted. Put on Christ, follow after him, and one day your mortal body will put on immortality. And you will look death in the face and laugh. And you will live forever in the joy of your God. That is good news. That is how the death of Jesus turns death itself upside down. That is why we can gather on a day in which we celebrate when the founder of our faith was brutally and unjustly tortured, mocked, and killed. We can look on that and call it good because of what it has bought us and because of what it has made us when we take shelter under And as Dalen has said tonight, we know the end of the story. We know that death no longer has dominion over him. And just as we have died with him, so also we will live with him forevermore. We love Good Friday because we have the hope of Easter Sunday. And because we serve a God who is not in the grave, who is alive, and who promises that we will be with him. I go to prepare a place for you. And he's coming back for us. We have a hope, and we have a future. That's why we celebrate the death of Christ. As bizarre as it sounds, there is mourning, there is depth of sorrow at what our God went through, but there is deep and abiding joy that Christ would do that for me, for you, to bring us to God. So have you sheltered under his wings? Have you come to the one who has robbed death of its sting and followed after him? And in doing that, are you walking day by day living a life that is really life, that is full of joy and hope? Are you immovable, steadfast, abounding in the work of the Lord? That's our path. That's what is laid before us as we follow in the joy of our Savior. Pray with me.